Blog Talk Radio.
Shalom, shalom, shalom. Baba Kwab, oh no, I'm sorry. Layala <laughs> Tawab, which means good evening or good night in the ancient Paleo Hebrew. I am your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Tavapa. I am joined this evening by my wife, Arakaya, in the building, y'all. Bobbing off that song, man, that is one of my joints right there, man, that describes us and our people and the struggle here in the belly of the satanic, demonic, sodomite, despicable, disgusting, um, cesspool, despicable place called... America. All right, now I hope everybody is good. I hope everybody's in, in good health, in good spirits, man. Uh, man, my day was mucho to wild, man. Mucho to wild, man. I got these clients I've been working with, y'all, man. This lady's 90 years old, man. And she, she be getting it in, man. Strong, still got her wits about her. Uh, and she comes with her daughter. I think her daughter's in her 60s. Uh, but she looks young, too, and she's in fairly good shape. But, man, it's always a good time working with with them. There is a car so-called Mexican. They keep me laughing. They have me in stitches, man. They just got jokes for days. I think we do more joking around than actual training. <laughs> but, uh Man, they, they be brightening my day, man. I ain't going to lie. I ain't going to front. All praise to the most high. want to send shouts out, man, to uh, our affiliated schools, the brothers here in San Antonio, man, under a war. Also sending shouts out to our connected school, the uh, the Texas Connection, our brothers down in H-Town, led by the brother Quartazop. Also sending shouts out to our East Coast family, affiliated brothers out coast doing things in the VA, uh, led by the uh, innovative, um, insightful, uh, always on the move, brother uh, Kazakia, as well as uh, shouts out to the brother uh, Zainala with all the zeal up in Rochester, y'all. Uh, shouts out to the brother Aishin, the crew out in New Mexico. Shouts out to our brothers and sisters down in Atlanta, uh, California, Canada, and shouts out, y'all, to the 12 tribes scattered worldwide, all across the globe, man. Shouts out to our brothers and sisters, man, and prayers. Big prayers go up to every brother and sisters uh, that is in this walk, in this struggle. I want to send out my family's heartfelt Condolences to our beloved sister, Yasarias, dealing with a loss right now, and the whole Mashabite family, man. Y'all are in our prayers and our thoughts, and we pray that the Most High will guide y'all and give y'all the strength and the fortitude to go through the ordeal you are going through right now. Because I see you got it. Cool. Shout out to you too, sir. Enjoy the time we spent together. Um, so let's go ahead and get things cracking, man. If it's your first time tuning in to the show, 
We are the Hebrew Israelites, yes, so-called blacks, Hispanics, Native Americans that are scattered through uh, over here in the Western Hemisphere in the Americas, man, the Israelites. This is proved biblically, historically, and we've proven this time and time again. We continue to prove this. Uh, We have no problem proving this. Um, But we are the people of the book, not the nominals right now over there, Murder Incorporated, fighting with uh, the raghead Ishmael's children over the land that ain't belong to them. Anyway, not those people, man. We are definitely the people of the book, and uh, that's what we prove here at uh, Bible Talk Radio extensively, and we deal with a, a, a whole host of topics. This is my uh, Thursday night broadcast, usually did in the morning, but, you know, had to hit the plantation this morning, so I had to do it this evening. Um, on Thursdays, y'all, I just dive right into the topic, which we are about to do. So let's go ahead and get things cracking. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. So this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is the prayer we need to be sending up on the daily, brothers and sisters, so we can get the hell on out of this demonic place. All right, let's get Psalm chapter 118, verse 24. Yes, I forgot I did that. Psalms 118 and 24 This is the day which the Lord hath made We will rejoice and be glad in it Good or bad, happy or sad The Most High brought you to it He'll bring you through it And you'll come out better On the other side because of it Please believe me Alright y'all So the topic The Trinity (laughs) This question was posed, uh, and I'm kind of Johnny-come-lately on this one, but I was dealing with some other topics. But this uh, question was posed uh, by my cousin Devin, uh, the Trinity, man. And he wasn't the only one to ask this question. Somebody else asked this question a while back, too. I just uh, hadn't been able to get around to dealing with uh, the topic, man. But we are definitely going to get into it this evening. So we're going to open up. Um, in the Columbia Encyclopedia, uh, page 6877. So that's where we're going first. And brothers and sisters, if you're at the crib, man, and you're able to sit down and get pen and paper and um, also uh, follow along in some of the books we're going to be pulling out, because there's a lot of reading, y'all, a lot of reading, just preparing your minds for it. Uh, we're going to definitely get into the Bible, but before we can even get into the Bible, we have to establish, uh, discover where this thing called the Trinity actually originated from. So you got that archive? Um, Trinity, fundamental doctrine in Christianity. So it's a fundamental doctrine in what? Christianity. Now, when it says Christianity, y'all, it's talking about the religious aspect 
a religious uh, institution that was created based off of Christ and the followers of Christ. So it's talking about a religion. So the Trinity is based off of religion. It's a religious doctrine. This we're going to find out. By which God is considered as existing in three persons. The doctrine was defined very early, but received much amplification at the first ecumenical council. <laughs> Read that part again. The doctrine was defined very early, but received much amplification at the first Ecumenical Council. And it's talking about the Council of Nicaea, or Nicaea, and we're definitely going to get to that. Now, this is a question. Before we read on, I want to post to each and every last person that is listening that's familiar with the Trinity. If the Trinity is part of the Bible, then why does it have its origins in religion? Because God never gave religion. The Most High never gave religion. You look all throughout the Bible, and you will not find one single religion. You won't. So here we're finding out that it was created. It's a religious thing, not a biblical thing. The usual statement of the doctrine is that God exists in three persons, all co-equal, co-eternal, and indivisible of the same substance. God the Father, Go ahead. God the Son, who became incarnate as Jesus. Now stop. <laughs> In case you're not understanding what it's saying, it's saying that the Most High, Christ, and what else did it say? Uh, it says, begotten of the Father and God, the Holy Ghost, proceeding from the Father and the Son. All one, all one entity. Go back a little bit, though. So the usual statement of the doctrine is that God exists in three persons. They they believe, this is the Trinity, that God exists in three persons. Read. All co-equal. They're all, all three of these persons are equal to each other. Read. Co-eternal. They, they, they exist forever. And indivisible. They're indivisible, meaning what? They're all the same. Read. Of the same substance. See this? I'm not making stuff up. If you have the same substance, they're saying you're the same. So they're saying that the Most High, Christ, the Holy Spirit, all one. All one person. Read. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. So they believe that the Most High is the Father, he's the Son, and he's the Holy Ghost. The Trinity is considered by most Christian teachers to be a mystery. A what? Mystery. Read that part again. The Trinity is considered by most Christian teachers to be a mystery. It's considered by most Christian teachers to be a mystery, meaning it's mysterious. No one knows. And as we get into this and start reading more information, you're going to see how mystical and how confusing it is. It don't even make sense. Is that it? I.e., its nature cannot be fully understood or known by human intelligence. <laughs> read that part again. I'm not, I'm not going to interrupt this time. Read. 
its nature cannot be fully understood or known by human intelligence. It is therefore called a truth of revelation. It's the truth of revelation. This mystery is commemorated. What is it called? What is it called, the Trinity? This mystery. Read it again. This mystery is commemorated liturgically in the Western Church on Trinity Sunday. Mm, mm, mm. I hope y'all listening to this. And I'm 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 going to try to contain myself, but y'all know I'm in the clown, right? It's stupid, man. That's why I'm clowning, because it's it's just downright stupid. It's stupid. It's insulting. It's demonic. It's we're gonna get into. It. Read this now. Tell them where you're reading from. This is uh, Britannica.com. Trinity. Read a little louder. Trinity in Christian doctrine, the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three persons in one Godhead. The doctrine of the Trinity is considered to be one of the central Christian affirmations about God. It is rooted in the fact that God came to meet Christians in a threefold figure. So they're basically saying the same thing that the encyclopedia that we just read said, but then they go on to say that God came to meet Christians in what? In the threefold figure. Mm-hmm. Read on. One as creator, Lord of the history of salvation, father and judge as revealed in the Old Testament, two as the Lord who, in the incarnated figure of Yahweh Shai, now you can read, read what you see. Thank lived you. among human beings and was present in their midst as the resurrected one, and three, as the Holy Spirit, whom they experienced as the helper or intercessor in the power of the new life. So the, the way they're trying to say that God or the Most High is Christ is they're saying that the Most High was uh, incarnated or the Most High Spirit was put into the body of Christ. That's what they're basically trying to say in this doctrine called the Trinity. All right, read on. Neither the word Trinity nor the explicit doctrine appears in the New Testament. No, 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 no. We ain't going to just read past that. Read that part again. Neither the word Trinity nor the explicit doctrine appears in the New Testament. Hold on. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't appear in the New Testament. It doesn't appear in any of the Bible, Old Testament, Apocrypha, New Testament. It doesn't appear there. You will not find it. They made this mess up. Nor did Jesus and his followers intend to contradict the Shema in the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, listen to this. It says that Christ Christ and his followers did not intend to contradict the Scriptures what scripture in particular read? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, meaning what? The Most High is the ultimate power. This is why we call him the Most High. He's one Lord. This is the belief in monotheism. But to say that the Most High, Christ, and the Holy Spirit 
or three different entities, but they're the same. It's the belief in polytheism, the belief in many gods. So I hope y'all are seeing how in this, this article we're reading where they're trying to justify the Trinity, they're basically, um, what's what I'm looking for, contradicting themselves. But we know. That scripture was Deuteronomy 6 and 4. The earliest Christians, however, had to cope with implications of the coming of Jesus Christ and of the presumed presence and power of God among them, i.e. the Holy Spirit, whose coming was connected with the celebration of Pentecost. Now, I don't know where they, they just went way off of this. They're talking about the coming of Christ was connected with the festival of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, which you read about in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. And Pentecost, or first fruits, or the first Feast of Weeks, happens after um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and you will count seven Sabbaths, which will give you 50 days. And they're trying to say that the Trinity has something to do with the Feast of Pentecost or First Fruits or the Feast of Weeks. It has nothing to do with that. Nothing. Read on. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were associated in such New Testament passages as the Great Commission, quote, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. No, I'm not ducking any scriptures. We're definitely going to get to that one. Probably not this class, but we're definitely going to get around to it. Go ahead. And the Apostolic Benediction, quote, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Thus, the New Testament established the basis for the doctrine of the Trinity. So they said that the New Testament established the basis for the doctrine of the Trinity. So wait a minute. The three entities weren't in the Old Testament? Huh? And the reason they're saying this, y'all, is because you get certain scriptures like the one that was just read that gave them their footing to bring in this paganism of the belief in three different entities all being one. You only see, like I said, those scriptures in the New Testament to where they could try to be slick. You know. The doctrine developed gradually over several centuries and through many controversies. <laughs> oh, y'all listening. Read that part again. The doctrine developed gradually over several centuries and through many controversies. Initially, both the requirements of monotheism inherited from the Hebrew scriptures and the implications of the need to interpret the biblical teaching to Greco-Roman religion seem to demand that the divine in Christ as the word or logos be interpreted as subordinate to the supreme being. Now you see this. You know how things get lost in translation? (laughs) This is what it's basically talking about. And I went over this. I went over this uh, before, y'all, uh, about the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a book, basically the Bible. When the Bible was translated from Hebrew into Greek, okay. So this is basically what it's talking about. The world or the Greeks wanted uh, books of knowledge and wisdom, and they had every book. And I'm talking about the library in Alexandria. 
uh, under the Ptolemaic dynasty. They wanted every book, and it's talked about in Maccabees too. It's, they wanted every book, but it was brought to their attention they didn't have the book, which was the Bible. And this is when uh, Ptolemy, I forget which one, had uh, brought Hebrew men in, Hebrew Israelite men in, to translate the Bible, the Old Testament at the time, into from Hebrew into Greek. And once it got translated into Greek, says this article that we're reading, this is when all the different influences came in from the Greeks. And that's important to remember as we uh, go through the class because the Greeks were heavy into uh, mythology, as we're going to find out. We know? An alternative solution was to interpret Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three modes of the self-disclosure of the one God but not as distinct within the being of God itself. The first tendency recognized the distinctness among the three, but at the cost of their equality and hence of their unity, subordinationism. Subordinationism. <laughs> They're just making stuff up, man. Is that it for that? It's a lot more. What, what section are you in? Let me see, because I don't want to read all of this. Um... Hold on for a second, man. Okay, you almost done. Where you? You remember your place? Mm -hmm. All right, you can speed up reading. I'm trying not to uh, interrupt. The second came to terms with their unity, but the cost of their distinctness as quote persons, modalism. The high point of these conflicts was the so-called Arian controversy in the early fourth century. In his interpretation of the ideal of God. Arius sought to maintain a formal understanding of the oneness of God. No, he's, he says in his interpretation. This is what this is all about, y'all. This is what theology is about. Theology, the root word for theology is a, is a theory. The theory is what they refer to as what an educated guess, I believe, hypothesis. a hypothesis, which is an educated guess. But depending on who you ask, you're going to get different answers. We don't. In defense of that oneness, he was obliged to dispute the sameness of essence of the Son and the Holy Spirit with God the Father. It was not until later in the fourth century that the distinctness of the three and their unity were brought together in a single orthodox doctrine of one essence and three persons. In the fourth century, they were brought together as what? Orthodox doctrine of one essence and three persons. In the fourth century. Y'all see this has nothing to do with the Bible? Read. That's all for that paragraph. I'm not sure I'm going to continue. Go to the next one. Matter of fact, we're going to go there anyway. Let's get the two Babylons now. If y'all have been listening into Mashaba's classes, Mashaba has been going over this book extensively. We're going to go to page 18 and read the highlight parts. He's been going over this uh, class extensively. And Mashaba, I'm not trying to um, intertwine our classes at all. I, this is where my study led me, though. <laughs> this is where 
the research led me out. And you'll see what I'm talking about. The Two Babylons, the Topple Worship by Reverend Alexander Hislop, page 18. Start right at uh, now, yeah, now view. Oh, let me finish it. Yep, that's it, that's it. Now listen to this, y'all. Now viewed in this light, the triune emblem of the supreme Assyrian divinity. Now, when it says triune, this is talking about the trinity. This is where they get it from. It's pagan doctrine. Read. The triune emblem of the supreme Assyrian divinity shows clearly what had been the original patriarchal faith. First, there is the one head of the old man. The one head of the old man. Next, there is the zero or circle for the seed. And lastly, the zero or the circle for the seed. So the man, the seed, read. And lastly, the wings and tail of the bird or dove. And lastly, the wings, bird, tail of the dove. Now, this is this is representing, y'all, <laughs> the man is supposed to be the creator. The seed or the O is his seed that he put in supposedly into a woman, his son. And then that bird, what else did it say? It said the wings and tail of the bird or dove. That's, a, that's supposedly the Holy Spirit. You can't make this stuff up, man. Read on. Showing, though blasphemously, the unity of Father, Seed, or Son, and Holy Ghost. Told you. Read on. Jump back up. That's Holy Ghost. Yep, and keep reading. Okay. While this had been the original way in which pagan idolatry had represented the triune God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Read that again. While this had been the original way in which pagan idolatry had represented the triune God. Pagan idolatry worshipped the triune God. This is the Trinity. This is where it comes from. Read. And though this kind of representation has survived to Sennacherib's time, yet there is evidence. Sennacherib, I believe. Okay. Sennacherib. <clears throat> yet there is evidence that at a very early period, an important change had taken place in the Babylonian notions in regard to the divinity. Now, Sennacherib, I believe, was an Assyrian king. Maybe we'll have to go back and look. But I believe he was an Assyrian king because um, after the Assyrians with the Babylonians, as a matter of fact, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they were once one kingdom to the Babylonians overtook the Assyrians and just took them out, wiped them out. But read on. And that the three persons had come to be the eternal father, the spirit of God incarnate in a human mother and a divine son, the fruit of the incarnation. Does this sound familiar, y'all? <laughs> Read that part again. Let's see. 
All right. So yet there is evidence that at a very early period, an important change had taken place in the Babylonian notions in regard to the divinity, and that the three persons had come to be the eternal father, the spirit of God incarnate in a human mother, and a divine son, the fruit of the incarnation. A human mother, a spirit father, and then they had a child. Does this sound familiar? This is where you get the virgin birth from. This is where you get, oh, well, Mary didn't have sex. Joseph didn't impregnate her. It was the Holy Spirit that got Mary pregnant. This is where that mess comes from, y'all. We know. Well, this was the theory. The first person of the Godhead was practically overlooked as the great invisible taking no immediate concern in human affairs. No, I said that. Read that part again. While this was the theory, the first person in the Godhead was practically overlooked. The first person in the Godhead is overlooked. Now, according to them, the Godhead is the most high, and it says that he was overlooked. And this is how you know paganism moved in with uh, religion under Christianity because in in what they saying, and this is why you get a lot of holy rollers and Christians, they always talking about what? Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. They deal tricks, right? But they rarely mention who? The Most High. And this is why when they come to Israelites, the first thing they ask us, oh, y'all don't believe in Jesus? Y'all don't believe in Christ? Of course we believe in Christ. Of course we believe in Jesus. Because when we talk, we always mention who? The Most High. Oh, if Lord willing, if the Most High, let's see what the Most High got in store. We always use these terminologies. So they think that because we're always giving the Most High all, that we don't believe in Yahweh or believe in Christ. And that's not the case. We do. But this is where they get that from, because in this book, it said that the main feature, the most high, it says that he's barely mentioned. Read that part again. The first person in the Godhead was practically overlooked. Overlooked. You hear people in the church talking about God. You hear them talking about who? It's always Jesus, right or wrong? This is why. Read. As the great invisible taking no immediate concern in human affairs, he was to be worshipped through silence alone. Through silence. <laughs> Read on. That is, in point of fact, he was not worshipped by the multitude at all. He was not worshipped by the multitude at all. Just like in the church. They worshipping Jesus. Read. At the same thing, it's strikingly illustrated in India at this day. This is not exclusive to Babylon or Syria. It says they do this in India. Read. Through Brahma, according to the sacred book, is the first person of the Hindu triad. So Brahma, if y'all ever heard of that, he's supposed to be the most high. Read. And the religion of Hindustan is called by his name, yet he is never worshipped. And there is scarcely a single temple in all India 
now in existence, of those that were formerly erected to his honor. So also is it in these in those countries of Europe where the papal system is mostly completely developed. And they said that in Europe, the papal system is talking about the universal church, also known as the Catholic church. It's the same thing in their churches. This is why when you, you see uh, pictures that are in the Vatican or depictions that are in the Vatican or in churches or worldwide, man, even, you see a picture of who they say is Mary, and then she's got who with her. Supposedly it's this Jesus, it's Christ. But they had that same picture way back during the Babylonian time, the mom and the kid. And it's, it's still going on to the day because when, when you hear re- religious folks talk about uh, anything religious, they always mention who? Christ, or they mention his model Mary, especially in Catholicism. That's where the whole Hail Mary full of grace crap comes from. Read on. In Papal Italy, as travelers universally admit, except where the gospel has recently entered, all appearances of worshiping the King Eternal and Indivisible is almost instinct. Extinct, excuse me. While the mother and the child are the grand objects of worship. The mother and the child are the grand objects of worship. But why is that, Reed? Exactly so, in this latter respect, also was it in ancient Babylon. It was the same where? In ancient Babylon. Why would it be the same in ancient Babylon? Because the Roman Catholic Church adopted the pagan idolatry of the Babylonians. I hope y'all are seeing this. Read on. The Babylonians, in their popular religion, supremely worshipped a goddess mother and a son, who was represented in pictures and in images as an infant or child in his mother's arms. Mm -hmm. From Babylon, the worship of the mother and the child spread to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. So this is everywhere. And Meshava, he's going over this very beautifully, extensively in his class, showing that paganism and idol worship came from um, ancient Babylon under Nimrod after the flood. That's where all of this originated from. That's where all of this crap came from. Read. In Egypt, the mother and the child were worshipped under the names of Isis and Osiris. Mm -hmm. In India, even to this day, as Isai and Isara. Because the names change based off the uh, the nation. But there's, it's still the same deity. The names just change. Read. In Asia, Cybele and Dias. In pagan Rome, as Fortuna and Jupiter Tour, mm-hmm. or Jupiter the Boy. Mm-hmm. In Greece, as Cirrus, mm-hmm. the mother, and the great mother, with the babe at her breast. The great mother, with the babe at her breast. Read on. Or as Irene, mm-hmm. the goddess of peace, with the baby, I'm sorry, with the boy, Plutus, in her arms. And even in Tibet and China and Japan, the Jesuit missionaries 
were astonished to find the counterpart of Madonna and her child as devoutly. So these Jesuit missionaries, when they went to Tibet, they seen that icon of mother and child together, and they thought that, man, have we been over here? Because <laughs> they thought it was Mary and Christ. But it was actually whatever the Tibetan deity's name was for that mother and that child. Read on. It says, let's see. So let me go back here to China. And even Tibet and China and Japan, the Jesuit missionaries were astonished to find the counterpart of Madonna and her child as devoutly worshipped as in Papal Rome itself. Mm-hmm. Mu, the Holy Mother in China, being represented with a child in her arms and a glory around her, exactly as if a Roman Catholic artist had been employed to set her up. Mm-hmm. The, the original of that mother was so widely worshipped, there is reason to believe that uh, there was reason to believe what Semiramis already referred to, who it is well known was worshipped by the Babylonians and other Eastern nations, and that under the name of Rhea, the great goddess mother. It was from the sun, however, that she derived all of all her glory and her claim. But she get all her glory and her claim from the sun. Does this sound familiar? Because where, where does the Virgin Mary get all her praise from? Read. It was from the sun, however, that she derived all her glory and her claims to deification. That sun, though represented as a child in his mother's arms, was a person of great stature and immense bodily powers. And bodily powers. Who does it sound like, y'all? Christ. Read. As well as most fascinating manners. In scripture, he is referred to under the name Tammuz. As, so they're not worshiping Christ. Who are they worshiping? Tammuz. Tammuz, the same cat that everybody's rocking the cross around their neck. That's the initial. That's his initial. It's a T. It's not a cross. It's a T for Tammuz. Read on. But he is commonly known among classical writers under the name of Bacchus. He's also known as who? Bacchus. Bacchus. Now, read. go ahead, read on. That is the lamented one mm-hmm. to the ordinary reader. Mm-hmm. What page is that? This is page 21. All right, go ahead. Uh, you, you said page 21? 21. It's still talking about Bacchus? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Okay, to the ordinary reader, the name of Bacchus suggests nothing more than revelry and drunkenness. But it is now well known that amid all the abominations, that attended his orgies, their grand design was professedly the purification of souls, and that from the gut and defilement of sin, this lamented one exhibited and adored a, as a little child in his mother's arms. As a little child in his mother's arms. And Michelle was going over this, y'all. Y'all getting a double dose. So this Tammuz is also known as Bacchus. The world is going around trying to portray as Christ and worshiping. Read. Seems in point of fact to have been the husband of Semiramis. See, he was the husband of who? Semiramis. But wait, ain't that his mama? Yes, that's his mama. 
So I guess <laughs> that was his mice. <laughs> That's his mice, right? <laughs> his, his mama wife. <laughs> that's that's what it was. Y'all y'all see this man? This blasphemy. Read whose name Ninus, which he is commonly known in the classical history, literally signifies the sun. As Semiramis, the wife, was worshipped as Rhea, whose grand distinguishing character was that of the great goddess mother. The conjunction with her of her husband under the name of Ninus or the son was sufficient to originate the peculiar worship of the mother and son. So extensively Did they make any sense to y'all? Listen, man. I've put a lot of classes together and done extensive research on classes. But no class has made my head hurt the way this one has made my head hurt because of the research involved in it. And as y'all can see, this stuff makes no damn sense. Read. So extensively diffused among the nations of antiquity, and this, no doubt, is the explanation of the fact which has so much puzzled the inquirers into ancient history that Ninus is sometimes called the husband, sometimes the son of Semiramis. He's sometimes called the husband. Sometimes he's the son. He's interchangeable. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> Read on. Good way. This also accounts for the origin of the very same confusion of relationship between Isis and Osiris. The very same what? Confusion. Confusion. And hold this. No, you know what? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Because we're going to go off somewhere else. Keep reading. The mother and child of the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. For as Bunsen shows, Osiris was represented, was represented in Egypt as at once the son and husband of his mother. The son and husband of his mother, like I said, mice. That's his mice and actually bore, as one of his titles of dignity and honor, the name Husband of the Mother. Husband of the Mother. Read. This still further casts light on the fact already noticed that the Indian god Iswara is represented, represented as a babe at the breast of his own wife, Isi or Pavati. So I, I've never seen this statue. Maybe y'all have the Indian god with the breast. And then the baby sucking on it, I have seen it. I haven't seen it. Real? Now, this Ninus, or son, born in the arms of the Babylonian Madonna, is so described as very clearly to identify him with Nimrod. With who? Nimrod. It all goes back to Nimrod. Read. Ninus, king of the Assyrians, says Trogus, Pompeius. What page is that? This is 23. How much you got? This? Okay, keep going. Okay. Ninus, king of the Assyrians, says Trogus Pompeius, epitomized by Justin, first of all, changed the con- contended moderation of the ancient manners, incited by a new passion, the desire of conquest. He was the first who carried on war against his neighbors. 
And he conquered all nations from Assyria to Libya as they were yet unacquainted with the art of war. Now, it's talking about Nimrod, and he did. This was the, the first uh, superpower after the flood. Ancient Babylon. Read on. This account points directly to Nimrod and can apply to no other. <laughs> to no other. All right. So let's go into scriptures now. Let's get Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, man. You got it. Second Corinthians eleven and two. Mm-hmm. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. This is Paul speaking. Read. For I have espoused you to one husband. Read. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So he's the husband, right? Read. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his fertility. He see, he sees, he's fearful. He's fearful <laughs> that we will be beguiled like Eve was beguiled by the serpent. Read. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The, the Trinity, the triune, only is going to corrupt your mind. And it's going to corrupt your mind from the what of Christ? Simplicity. From the simplicity of Christ. Now, remember, in the definition we read in the Britannica, it says that nobody really understands the mysticism of the Trinity. It says humans don't understand this concept. But here we're reading that there's a simplicity in Christ, meaning to understand Christ, where he came from, whether or not him and the Mokha is the same person or not, it says it's simple to understand, and we're going to go into it, that they are not the same. Reading on. That was verse 3, right? Yeah, that was verse 3. Now let's get First Timothy chapter 1, and we'll just start at verse 3. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That they teach what? No other doctrine. Because what's the problem? There's, there's been other doctrines taught, other doctrines created, made up. And Paul knew this was going to happen. Read. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Paul said what? Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Don't listen to fables. A fable is a made-up story. A fable is the trinity. You see how they're just making stuff up to where that stuff doesn't even make sense. It's complicated. It's confusing. And the most High say he's not the author of confusion. And we got that scripture that says there's a simplicity in Christ. You want to know about the most high? There's a simplicity to it. It's not that deep. It's not that complicated. What verse you in? Verse 4. Read. Which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. These fables are going to do what? Godly edifying. They're going to, they're going to minister questions rather than godly edifying. You're just going to have more questions. You... you <laughs> If you're going by the Trinity doctrine, the triune doctrine, 
just going to have more and more questions because it's too damn confusing for anybody to understand. Read verse 4 again. Neither gives he to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions. Endless genealogies, because that's what we were reading in the book, The Two Babylons. We were reading the genealogies of Semiramis and her son, husband, husband's son. <laughs> we were reading about that. Paul said, don't give heed to this crap, because what? They minister questions. Rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. They don't edify, man. This is why so many people be confused about the Bible, confused about the damn, the damn Trinity, and thinking it, it, it uh, has a biblical origin, and it doesn't. All right, let's get Second Peter chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Now, this is what Peter's saying. This is his letter. He said, when I'm gone, when I'm dead, he says what? To have these things always in my, to have these things always in remembrance. He said, remember these things. Read. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. What did Peter say? We have not followed cunningly devised fables. What's the trinity? A cunningly devised fable. What's the triune? Cunningly devised fable. It's a cunningly devised damn fable. It's a story that is not true. Read. We made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, give me Second Timothy now, chapter 4 and verse 1. In Second Timothy, chapter 4 and verse 1, mm-hmm. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Preach the word. What did Paul say? Preach the word. Preach the word, the Bible, not religion, not the Trinity. Read. Be instant in season. He says be instant. In season, read. Out of season. That means to be consistent in the word, you know. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. (laughs) The only way you can reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine is you got to be in the scriptures. The scriptures say, study to show yourself approved, man. So when somebody rolls up with that Trinity nonsense, you can disprove it. Read. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And this is where we're at now. Read. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears. And this is what the whole doctrine is about, man. People going after their own lust, what they feel the scripture is saying, what they feel is right, instead of what the scriptures really, what the scriptures are really saying. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. And, and this is why <laughs> a lot of people has turned their ears from hearing the truth. Man, the switchboard was full a minute ago, 
It's not like one person on here. <laughs> Read on. Having itchy ears. I'm they, sorry, and shall be turned unto fables. They, what? Read that part again. And verse shall four. be turned unto fables. Shall be turned away. Verse uh, 4 from the top. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. Mm-hmm. And shall be turned unto fables. Because they want to hear a fable. They want to hear something that ain't true. They want to hear a mystical story, man. This is what our people always want to hear, a fascinating mystical story because it could just not be that simple. But the scripture said there's a simplicity in Christ. Yes, it can be that simple. All right, so let's get to it now. Let's deal with Christ's mother, thing we got to deal with. Let's go to Luke chapter 11. The Virgin Madonna. Luke chapter 11, and let's start at verse uh, 27. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the path which thou hast sucked. So Christ has just got through dropping parables, just got through teaching. This lady rises up and said, man, blessed is the womb that bear thee and the paths which give you suddenly see. And what she's saying is, blessed is your mama. That's what she's saying. I hope everybody see this. Rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. <laughs> he said, no, <laughs> don't bless my mama. My mama ain't blessed. He said, the people that... Hear the word of God and keep it. Those people are blessed. So did Christ put his mom on a pedestal? No. No, he didn't. Read. And when the people were gathered sick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. <laughs> he called them what? An evil generation. This woman talking about blessed is your mama, he called her what? Evil. He called her evil because she was trying to take all the glory from the Most High and give it to his mom. Read. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given. And, it, and what what is our people always looking for? A sign. A sign, man. Show me something. It's got to be. No, it can't be that simple. Show me something mystical. Then I'll believe you. Then I'll follow you. I got to make it extra deep. You know what extra deep is? Extra complicated. That's what extra deep is. Read. But the sign of Jonas the prophet. All right, let's go to St. John chapter 2. And we want to start with verse 1. John 2 and 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. So it was a wedding. Christ's mother was in, in attendance as well as he. Read. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Mm-hmm. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said, saith unto him, they have no wine. So his mom told him, hey, they ain't got no wine. Read. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. He like, Mama, you're getting on my nerves. What you want me to do? 
Now, why would she even go to him and uh, tell him that they had no wine? Because she knew his power. She knew he had powers. So she basically going to his son, help him out. They ain't got no wine. Read. But, but, but I'm sorry. Look at the way he talked to her, though. Was he worshiping his mama? But this is the Virgin Mary, right? This is Mary Madonna. How dare him talk to his mama like that? Boy, he better watch your tongue. No, he didn't praise his mama. He put his mama on a pedestal. Saith unto the servant, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And his mama <laughs> gave the servant, hey, whatever he say, man, do what he say. That's her giving honor to him. Read. And there was said there are six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Mm -hmm. Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water. Mm -hmm. And they filled them up to the brim. Mm -hmm. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. So this is Christ's first miracle. Let's get Luke chapter 2 now. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. His parents. Read that again. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. The his they're talking about, it's talking about Christ. And it says his parents. He had parents, mama and daddy. You know, it don't say now his mom and the Holy Spirit and him went to Jerusalem. It said his parents. Like I was saying, y'all, all of this, the the the, uh, the Trinity, the Virgin Birth, all of it is tied into one. Read. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Mm -hmm. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. So they went to Jerusalem for Passover. Christ stayed behind. And they were traveling in such a large company, they didn't realize that they had left him behind. Read. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, see, with the company that they were traveling with, read, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. So Christ cost them a whole day's travel because they had to go back and find out where he was at. Read. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple. So they lost a whole day. They went back, and they looked for him three more days. So they lost a total of four days looking for him. Read on. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Now, the doctors during this time were men that were very astute in the scriptures, in the law. And he was there hearing them and asking them questions. Read. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Because mm-hmm, he was so young, read. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? 
Behold, thy father and I have sought thee. What is Sorry. she said? Sorry. She said, "Behold, thy who?" She said, "Behold, thy father and I." Behold, I thought the spirit got Mary pregnant. Shouldn't it be, "Behold, the spirit and I have sought thee sorely"? Shouldn't that? That's what it should say, right? She said, "Behold, thy father and I have sought sorrowing." We know. And he said unto them, How is it that how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And this is what Christ turned around and said to his mama. Hey, what you mean you looking for me? What you know about my father's business? Now what was Christ's daddy's business? What was Joseph's business? Carpentry. Carpentry. <laughs> Let's see if he was talking about carpentry. Read. And they understood not the saying what she spake unto them. They didn't understand. Why didn't Joseph understand what Christ was talking about? Because Christ wasn't there doing no no carpentry in Jerusalem. He was in the temple learning in the scriptures. So he wasn't talking about his earthly father. He was talking about his heavenly father, the most high. But look how he dealt with Mary. Did he bow down to her? Did he worship her? Yeah. No, he didn't. He basically just checked his mom. Read. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. <laughs> so he left with them. Why did he leave with them? Because remember, he was still a child. He was still a responsibility. That's why I said, and, and he was subject unto them, unto his parents. Boy, you can cost us four days of travel. Come on. Read. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And remember, y'all, these are black people. This is a black mama and a black daddy. I, I think the scriptures are putting this altercation <laughs> or this uh, conversation real nicely. I think it might have been a little bit more... Uh, Spice on this conversation Alright, now let's get uh, That was Luke, right? No, that was St. John No, that was Luke Uh, Let's go to Mark now, chapter 3 and verse 31 Mark 3 and 31 Mm Mm-hmm There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. Now, this is Christ's family. They're there calling unto him. Now, remember it says his brethren and his mother, standing without. They were calling to him. Christ had brothers. He had brothers. Y'all see this, right? Now, according to the Bible, the lineage is determined by the Father. All throughout the Bible, you will read this. Now, if Christ, if his daddy was the Holy Spirit, then these brothers that are being talked about here, they wouldn't be referred to as his brothers because they would have different daddies, wouldn't they? So that wouldn't make them his brothers or his half-brothers 
because they have the same mom. People read over stuff like this, though. Read on. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. Read. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? Read. And he looked round about on them which sat about him. So the people that he was teaching, he looked at them and said what? Behold, my mother and my brethren. (laughs) These, my, my family right here. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. Right. Was he honoring his mom right here? Was he bowing down to his mom? Don't get it twisted. I'm not trying to say that Christ was disrespectful to his parents. Because we know he honored his mother and his father. Because the scripture tells that in the book of Exodus chapter 20. That's part of the uh, uh, first ten commandments. But I have to go this route, man, to prove that Christ was not worshiping his mother. No one was worshiping his mother. In fact, they were honoring her as as mom, which they should have, but they weren't worshiping her. This is totally contradictory with what we just read about paganism and the Babylonians and the rest of the world who dove in and honored this child mom worship stuff. All right, let's go to St. John chapter 19 now. And we're going to start at verse 26. Don't start reading yet. We got a question. Hold on. No doubt, no doubt, because I hope you're seeing it, though. I hope everybody's seeing this. And like I said, Mshaba, he's covering this class. But our classes, they, they intertwine, man. The Trinity, the virgin birth, they intertwine. All right, where are we at? John chapter 19 and verse 26. Mm-hmm. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, who he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman. Behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciples, Behold thy mother. Mm-hmm. And from that hour, that disciple took her own, or excuse me, took her unto his home, his own home. This is Christ, and this is the uh, crucifixion. This is him basically giving his mama away to his disciple. He said, Hey, man, this is your mama. Hey, this is your son. I hope everybody's seeing this. He's basically Christ giving his mama away at his death. And he's basically doing this so he say, okay, y'all take care of each other. You still got a son. Hey, you got a mom. All right, let's get Luke chapter 1 now. And let's start in verse... 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth mm-hmm. to a virgin. Hold on, hold on, y'all. I hate to do this, but I, I got to take a break real quick. I'll be right back, y'all. 
Rachel, we back. Where we at? Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. Read. Well, actually, it'd be 27. Read 26 again. Okay. Um, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin of spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Once again, Michelle was covering this, so I'm not going to go into it, the virgin part, you know? And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Mm-hmm. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. So Mary saw this angel, and he said, You blessed, you favored among women. And she, it says she was troubled at this thing. She didn't say, oh, you know what? I'm right. I am blessed. I am highly favored. I'm, I'm about to give birth to the king. She wasn't on no pedestal. She was humble. Read. And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She's like, why are you coming to greet me? Read. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Mm-hmm. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Mm-hmm. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Mm-hmm. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Mm-hmm. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? So this, during this particular time, she had not had intercourse with her husband Joseph yet. Now, just a sidebar, a lot of people like to read the Bible like it's in chronological order and it's not. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because people start in Matthew and they read on straight through and then they get to Luke and they think that Matthew happened before Luke. When no, these events happen simultaneously. These are just two different accounts of the same thing that occurred. And the only two books that cover the birth of Christ in the Gospels is Matthew and Luke. But in order to get in order to get complete understanding of his birth, you have to read the book Luke first before you go to Matthew and put the two together. So this is before she had intercourse with Joseph. Read. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Now, this is where they get, I guess, the virgin birth from. It talks, read that part again. Verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The Holy Ghost going to come upon you, girl. You don't need no man. The Holy Ghost going to come upon you and do what? I guess the Holy Ghost was going to sex her up. I don't know what people be reading, man, or thinking when they read this verse. Read. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. I, I guess that's supposed to be the sex that took place. The highest was overshadowing her. The most high overshadowed her and she just popped up pregnant. I don't get it. Read. Therefore, also... That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Shall be called the Son of God. And this is the first time we've read this, and we don't 
gonna be the dead horse with the son of God stuff too, <clears throat> or the son of God thing, because it's, it's true. They're not the same person. But we don't. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, <clears throat> she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. This is John the Baptist's mother, which is uh, Mary's cousin. She was pregnant uh, before Mary got pregnant, and she was six months pregnant. Because remember, John the Baptist was born before Christ. He paved the way for Christ, his little cousin. You know? <clears throat> for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And I guess this is where they get that crap from, too, about the uh, the Holy Spirit overshadowing her, the immaculate conception. Oh, with God, nothing is, shall be impossible. And I guess they try to explain how this man, who actually was a man that came in the flesh, derived from this spirit by using this scripture it, it just don't make sense it's too damn mystical y'all i'm sorry it don't sorry not sorry read and mary said behold the handmaid of the lord be it unto me according to thy word and the angel departed from her and this is why you never see mary challenging christ and he was checking checking her because she knew who he was and what his purpose was, because the angel had informed her of this. <clears throat> now, let's go to Wisdom of Solomon now, chapter 7. <clears throat> we're going to start at verse 1. <clears throat> Is it 7 and 1? Mm-hmm. Wisdom of Solomon in the Apocrypha, chapter 7, verse 1. Mm-hmm. I myself also am a mortal man. So this is Solomon speaking. He says, I'm a mortal man. What does it mean to be a mortal man? <clears throat> huh? One is capable of dying. One is able to be killed. <clears throat> a human being. Read. Like to all, and the offspring of him that was first made of the earth. He said, like to all, just like everybody else. Read on. And in my mother's womb was fashioned to be flesh in the time of ten months. So he's describing his mother's pregnancy and his time in the womb, him developing. Read. Being compacted in blood of the seed of man. Of the seed of what? Man. How did he get in his mother's womb? Through a man. Through a man's seed. Excuse me, also known as semen. Read. And the pleasure that came with sleep. Mm-hmm. And when I was born, I drew in the common air and fell upon the earth, which is of like nature. When he came out of the womb, he breathed in air. Read. And the first voice which I uttered was crying, as all others do. All babies come in crying. That's, that's what the doctor's looking for, right? The crying. That signifies the baby's healthy. That's normal. That's regular. That's how everybody come in. Read. I was nursing swaddling clothes and that with care. Mm-hmm. For there is no king. Now listen to this part. Read it again. For there is no king that had any other beginning of birth. You don't say. You don't say. It says there is no king that had any other beginning of birth. Meaning what? Every king that's walking the face of the planet got here through intercourse. Had a, a daddy. That stuck, stuck his pee in his mommy, <laughs> and they conceived a child. And the child was carried for 10 months in the mother's womb, 
and then he came out. He popped out. He had already, he had been baked fully in the mother's stomach. Listen to this. He said, no king had any other beginning. What about the king of kings, the Lord of lords? What about him, the emperor? That's what an emperor, you call a, a king of kings, is the emperor. What about him? What about Christ? And he the king? It says right here that he, even he, had no other beginning than the one he just described from verse 1 all the way down to verse, where we at? Verse 5, including Christ, including Jesus. You might say, not my Jesus. This ain't your Jesus. Your Jesus is actually Talmud when you worship him. Him, he the one that supposedly came from a spirit and wasn't no daddy involved. There was no tallywhacker involved. He just, poof, appeared in his mama's belly. That's the one, Tammuz, Nimrod, the ghost of Nimrod, the spirit of Nimrod. That's what you worshiping. But the Christ of the Bible, he had parents. He had a daddy. Read on. For all men have for one. Some, for some men. All men. So if you didn't get that part about kings, well, maybe it just applies to kings. Kings came in the way everybody else came in. But Paul, uh, I'm sorry, Solomon had to double down in case you didn't get it. He said, what? Read it again. For all men have one entrance into life and the light going out. All men came here the same way. All. Even Christ. Hope y'all are seeing this. It's all as clear as day, crystal. If you ain't see, you ain't trying to see it. If you ain't seeing it, then we know that the scriptures don't contradict themselves. Then the people that say the scriptures do, they don't have a, a complete understanding of the book. It's crazy. I was listening to uh, NPR the other day, and uh, what's the name? David Martin Davis. Davy Davy Martin Davis. Yeah. He was doing a segment, and he was talking to some politician about something. But he was talking about how uh, people can't base their sexuality around a, a, a no, he said a, around a book that contradicts itself. He's talking about the Bible. I'm like, dude, you are a complete idiot. All right, let's go to uh, Luke. Chapter 2 now. In case you're still doubting that Christ came the way everybody else came, we go to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. Mm hmm and when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child. So eight days, because remember, according to the law of Moses, the child had to be circumcised eight days, going all the way back to our forefather Abraham. Read. His name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Because as the angel told Mary the child was going to be named, she had that conversation with her husband. <laughs> And said, "This we're gonna name the baby." You didn't think she went to her husband and told her husband, "Hey, 
this angel just popped up and told me we're going to have a child. And the name of this child is. Yeah, because remember, the angel came to him and told him what? Hey, go hide the child. He wasn't caught off guard when the angel popped up because the angel had already came and spoke to his woman. And then this is the thing, too, man. You got to ask yourself. I'm kind of sideboring. But it tells you that Joseph was a just man, right? And it said he, he was minded to, to put his wife away privately, meaning to hide her so people wouldn't see that she was pregnant. Now, if Joseph was such a just man and his woman was impregnated and he had no knowledge of it, wouldn't he have stoned her? Wouldn't he have called a counsel? Because wouldn't it, wouldn't it be him in that story, hey, we found this woman in adultery? Wouldn't that have been him for Mary and say, hey, I don't know how this trick got pregnant because <laughs> we ain't did the do. And it said he was a just man, right, which meant he followed the law. So wouldn't he have put her on blast for slipping out the back door, for committing adultery? And we know the penalty for adultery was murder. You had to be stoned. But no, nah, he didn't do that. Why he didn't do that? Because he's the daddy. He's the pappy. <laughs> I the pappy. That's why. People don't, like I said, man, people just read the Bible like it's a fictitious book. But where we at? Read that part again. Verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Well, wait a minute. When the days of her, what purification? What is it talking about right here? Because it's talking about Mary. The days of Mary's purification. It says, as it says in the uh, book of Moses, or the law of Moses, why did Mary have to be purified? Purified from what? Let's go to Leviticus chapter 12. Hold this, y'all. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> Got it? Yeah. Read. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman hath conceived seed and born a man's child, then she shall be unclean seven days. She shall be what? Unclean seven days. What happens during childbirth, y'all? It gets messy. What's the bag that come out? The placenta come out? What's in that bag? Blood. Blood. What else? Other stuff. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. What other stuff? All uh, biofluids, <laughs> bodily fluids. And I've witnessed some childbirths. It's not a pretty sight. And a woman will let out a turd or two at birth. It's messy. I've been told it's the same muscle. 
when you, when you push the baby out, it's the same muscle you use to push the poop out. It's a pretty messy situation, right? Bunch of blood, stool, pus, bodily fluid, all that stuff. It's just it's messy. And then after that's done, the woman still has be bleeding, right? She bleeds for a period of time. They bring out this big old thing that looked like a big human diaper and put it on the woman got the woman got to wear it. All her organs and stuff have to be uh, shifted back into place over time, right? Because mm-hmm. that baby has pushed things around, pushed things out of the way. And this woman still got a bunch of stuff coming out of her. This is why she's unclean. And as a time period, you're supposed to actually wait till this woman heals up. Brothers, you can't just be trying to jump her bones and when she come home from the hospital with the baby, you're trying to get back in it. No, you got to let everything heal up. You got to let her clean up. There's a process. Read this again. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman hath conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days, mm-hmm. according to the days of the separation for her infirmity shall she be unclean. So that's just seven days, but wait a minute, read. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. If it's a man-child, the eighth day. So the day after the seventh day, which would be the eighth day, the woman's mm-hmm. still unclean. Read on. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying. The blood of her what? Purifying. Purifying. So when it talks about Mary's purification time in Luke, this is what it's talking about. How many days? Read. Three and 30 days. 33 days plus eight days. Give you how many days is that? 41 days. You have to wait. 41 days, this woman was unclean. This was her purification process. But hold up, though. I thought a spirit got her pregnant. If a spirit got her pregnant and it was so holy and angelic, shouldn't it have been a clean event? It wouldn't have been no mess. It wouldn't have been no, uh, what's the bag again? It wouldn't have been the placenta. It wouldn't have been all of that. Because it's a spirit baby, spiritual baby. Spirits are clean, nice and wholesome. Read. She shall touch no hollow thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. When I say hollow thing, it's talking about holy things. She shall touch no holy thing, and she couldn't even come in the sanctuary. I.e., she couldn't go to church, y'all. But how many women pop up, be in church, the day they come home with the baby, got the newborn in church, and you unclean, according to the scriptures? Hmm. So what was Mary? Let's go back to Luke. Chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verse 22. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So the days of Mary's purification was, what, 40, how many days? 40, 41. 41 days. She was 
unclean. That don't sound like no Holy Spirit to me. That sounds like a regular old childbirth. That sounds like a regular old woman got pregnant and just had a kid. You would sound like me. All right, let's go to St. John now. Chapter 4, we're going to start at verse uh, 2. Though Jesus himself baptized Oh, not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm tripping. First John chapter 4, verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Now listen to this, y'all. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now it says, this is how you're going to know. This person, a person has the spirit of the most high in them. If they confess, if they tell you that Christ came in the flesh, you know this is a godly person. And how did Christ come into come in the flesh? Because he had a fleshly, earthly father that impregnated his fleshly, earthly mother and gave him a freshly, earthly body. That's how we know this. And if you accept that, then you're godly. But if you say, no, nah, he came of the spirit. Spirit got her pregnant. Read. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And then you have these people say, well, we're not, I'm not saying that he's not a man. I'm not saying Christ didn't come in the flesh. But the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. Well, sir, it makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. If two puppies get together, I'm sorry, if two dogs get together and do what dogs do, what's going to come out? A puppy. If two kittens get to, two cats get together and do what cats do, what's going to come out? A kitten. If a, uh, a bull and a cow get together, what's going to come out? A calf. Come on, man. This is deductive reasoning. I, I'm not going to say common sense. Common sense leads us to the Trinity, <laughs> which is stupid as hell in the virgin birth. Read it again. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. You ain't, you're not a godly person. If you're still walking around talking about this immaculate conception, this Trinity nonsense, you're not godly. That is paganism. You ain't talking about Christ. You're talking about Tammuz, sir, ma'am. Read. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. And guess what else? You're against Christ because you want to acknowledge that he had an earthly father. Whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now, already is it in the world. Now, this is the apostle John saying, hey, the, the spirit of Antichrist, the people, the, the spirit of those people that's going to be saying that Christ had the Holy Ghost as a father, that was him saying that it was going to come. But then he came back and said it's already in the world. So you have people saying this mess. Way back during that time, you had people talking about 
oh, uh, Christ had an earthly father doing, I mean, a, a, a spiritual father. The Holy Spirit got Mary pregnant. You have people saying that stuff even way back then. Even way back then. And you know what's so ironic about the whole virgin birth stuff? is because during the time of Christ, Christ kept trying to get the Israelites, our people, to believe that he was the son of God. But what was our people saying? You're the carpenter's son. (laughs) You're Joseph's kid. But now in this day and age, our people are saying what? Oh, you're the Holy Spirit. You're the son of the Holy Spirit. And we're trying to get our people to see what? That he is the carpenter's son. (laughs) That he was the carpenter's son. Isn't that ironic? All right, from there, let's go back to the two Babylons, page 21. And I want you to start at that part where it says, in the scriptures. Page 21. This is right here, in the scriptures. In scripture, he is referred to under the name of Tammuz, but he is commonly known among classical writers under the name of Bacchus, Mm -hmm. that is, the lamented one. The lamented one. So let's read about this Tammuz. Let's get uh, Ezekiel chapter 8. In verse 14. So Tammuz is mentioned in the scriptures, y'all. But not the way you think. It ain't got nothing to do with Christ. Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 14. Mm -hmm. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Now, this was the angel that was basically taking Ezekiel on a tour of our wickedness. He brought him into the temple, and he showed them that Israelite women were weeping for who? Tammuz. Weeping for Tammuz. Now, I should have got this, but I didn't, y'all. I'm sorry. I went over this before. A second <clears throat> All right, read this. Okay, so this is uh, Britannica.com. Tammuz, Sumerian Damuzi, in Mesopotamian religion, god of fertility, embodying the powers for new life in nature in the spring. So this is a god, a fertility goddess, which symbolizes new life. Read. The name Tammuz seems to have been derived from the Akkadian form Tamuzi, based on early Sumerian Damuzid, 
the flawless young, which in later standard, Semarin became Damuzid or Damuzi. The earliest known mention of Tammuz is in texts dating in the early part of the early dynastic three for the third period, but his cult probably was much older. Although the cult is attested for most of the major cities of summer, second millennia BCE, it's centered in the cities around the central steppe area. So basically, y'all, the, the whole world during this time, because it said uh, Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia means between the rivers, y'all. That whole region was worshiping Tamu even back then, and we find out that Israelites were worshiping Tammuz even back then. Even and this is uh, in Ezekiel, but Israelites alike and the whole world was worshiping Tammuz even during the time of our forefather Abraham, because this Tammuz is a Babylonian deity. Now read that again in Ezekiel chapter eight. In verse 14, and then we're going to come back to uh, the two Babylons, page 16. So grab that real quick. Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 14. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there were, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Mm -hmm. Now read the two Babylons, page 16. You got it? Uh, yeah, that's it. Okay. So utterly idolatrous was the Babylonian recognition of the divine unity that Jehovah, the living God, severely condemned his own people for giving any countenance to it. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the garden after the rites of the only one, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouth shall be consumed together. In the unity of that one, only God of the Babylonians, there were three persons, and to symbolize that doctrine of the Trinity. Of the doctrine of the what? Of the Trinity. Because this is where it came from, y'all. Tammuz being the, the centerpiece of the Trinity. Read. They employed, as the discoveries of Layard proved the equilateral triangle, just as it is well known, the Romish church does at this day. And the Roman church does the exact same thing that the Babylonians did. That triune, that Trinity, is the same thing. And before y'all get all up, I don't follow. I'm I'm not a Catholic. I ain't into Catholicism. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are indirectly, because the Roman Catholic Church, the Universal Church, is the church that all churches were spawned from. And I covered this before. You're either a Catholic or you're a Protestant. The root word for Protestant is protest. And who protested the Catholic Church? All those religions that came out of the Protestant movement, the Calvinists, the Seventh-day Adventists, the, um, what's some other people? Oh, the Jehovah's Witness, the Latter- all of them people. 
all of those Protestants, y'all. Read on. Yes, sir, uh, page 17. Okay. Such a comparison is most degrading to the king eternal. And is fitted utterly to pervert the minds of those who contemplate it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Read that again. Such a comparison. Such a comparison. Pairing Babylonian pagan idolatry to biblical scriptures is what? In both cases, such a comparison is most degrading to the king eternal. It's degrading to Yahusha, to Christ. Read. And is fitted utterly to pervert the minds of those who contemplate it. Oh, what does the Trinity did he do? To pervert the minds of those who contemplate it. If you were walking around saying this crap, honoring this crap, your mind is perverted, y'all. Read. As if there was or could be any similitude between such a figure and him who has said, To whom will ye liken God, and what likeness will ye compare unto him? There is no similarities, y'all. Tammuz has nothing to do with the Most High, Christ, or the Holy Spirit. I hope y'all are seeing this. I hope y'all seen it. I, I know we did a lot of reading, y'all. <laughs> I, I know a lot of callers hung up. <laughs> Maybe it was too much. But all of this is done for edification purposes. Read on. The papacy has in some of its churches. The papacy, talking about the universal church again, the Catholicism, the Catholic church. Read. As, for instance, in the monastery of the so-called Trinitarians of Madrid, an image of the triune God with three heads on one body. Um, they got an image of the, the Trinity, three heads on one body. Read. The Babylonians had something of the same. The Babylonians had the same thing. And this is in the Catholic Church. Mr. Layard in his last work, has given a specimen of such a triune divinity worshipped in ancient Assyria. The accompaniment cut of such another divinity worshipped among the pagans of Siberia is taken from a medal in the imperial cabinet of St. Petersburg and given in Parsons' Jeffet. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Ain't all the highlights? Period. The three heads are differently arranged in layered specimens, but both alike are evidently intended to symbolize the same great truth, although all such representations of the Trinity necessarily and utterly debase the conceptions of those among whom such images prevail in regard to that sublime mystery of our faith. Wow. All right. Read this archive. Tell me where you read from. Uh, this is Botanica.com. It's the First Council of Nicaea. Mm-hmm. The first ecumenical council of the Christian church meeting in the ancient Nicaea, now Isnic Turkey, it was called by the emperor Constantine I 
an unbaptized Kachekumen who presided over the opening session and took part in the discussion. Now, if you're unfamiliar with who Constantine was, Constantine was the king of what's known as, or what was known as the Holy Roman Empire. And what he basically did was he implemented the Bible across the lands that he had conquered and occupied. His kingdom, uh, the capital of his kingdom was Istanbul, Turkey. And Constantine was a pagan that, and this is debatable, many historians, historians say that he did not um, convert to Christianity, but he made it look like he converted to Christianity. And uh, a lot of historians say that he wasn't baptized until he was on his deathbed. <laughs> but anyway, this dude was a pagan. And what he did was he brought paganism into Christianity and blended the two together, which gives you the religion known as Christianity to this day. So read on. Who presided over the opening session and took part in the discussion. He hoped the general council of the church would solve the problem created in the Eastern Church by Arianism, a heresy first proposed by Arius of Alexandria. Now we read about this dude, Arius, already, and the reason they had to call this council is because this dude was trying to make the Most High, Christ, and the Holy Spirit all the same. So they had to call a council to see what they were going to do about this new doctrine that this dude was talking about, that he was spreading. Read, and they called it a heresy. A heresy first proposed by Arius of Alexandria that affirmed that Christ is not divine but a created being. See? Not divine but a created being. Not taking any power or authority away from Christ, but they're just saying that he was a man. Mm -hmm. He came the same way we all came. He was a human being. He had a daddy. Joseph is, is his father. Did not attend the council, but was represented by Leggett. The council condemned Arius and with... Uh, <laughs> What happened? Well, they won't let you move it, huh? Mm -mm. Wow. I'm sorry, y'all. Wait a minute. We can get this, though. The reason we even reading about the Council of Nicaea, y'all, is because this is when they basically... Uh, came up with the doctrine, not came up with it, but I guess enforced the doctrine at this particular council. And not and this was not the only thing that was discussed at this council. The other thing that was discussed at this council was the so called virgin birth or the Immaculate Conception. Uh, they kinda cut us off right here to where we can't read the full articles. Let me go back and see if we can do it this way. Mm. 
let's get it, y'all. Anyway, I think this is a good place to stop anyway. We only got like five minutes anyway. So let's stop here. So let's recap. So what what I did first, y'all, was we went to different articles to prove how the Trinity is man-made. Nobody understands it. It's confusing. Uh, we went to um, the two Babylons to further edify that. And then what we did was we went to uh, break down Christ's mother because the Trinity stems from uh, Babylonian mythology or paganism that um, mother and child thing without the father. The father is barely recognized. And you see throughout cultures, people worshiping the mother and the child. And we we used to have that icon. I believe we still do it at the school where there's a black uh, mother, Mary, and supposedly Christ. And this is us not knowing, you know, and just using it as a visual aid to show our people that Christ is black. But that picture actually representing um, Tammuz and his mother, Semiramis, which goes all the way back to Nimrod, through ancient Babylonia, ancient Babylon. This is where all of this stuff originated and started from, and it was woven in to Christianity. That's why when we was reading the articles, it was talking about how the, the uh, Trinity only appears in the New Testament. Well, they're saying it appears in the New Testament because there are scriptures like being baptized in the Son or the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit's name. Those scriptures people would piggyback on and try to bring in the doctrine of the Trinity when the word Trinity and the reference of the Trinity is not even mentioned in the Bible at all, y'all. So we went there, and then we covered Christ's mother, her not being a deity, uh, all through the scriptures, how Christ dealt with his mom. Then we went into the birth of Christ, how Christ got here, just like the rest of every other human being on the face of the planet. And then we brought it back, reading some more articles about paganism and uh, Talmud's, and we're going to stop here, y'all. This is a good place to stop. Y'all got any questions, any comments, things y'all want to say, add, things y'all might didn't know? I'm going to shift off the part about um, the fact that the scripture that you referenced where all kings are and Christ is both a man and king, so why would you exclude him from that? No doubt, no doubt. And then you can see through that scripture, why they took the Apocrypha out, too. The Apocrypha has a lot of history in it. Like I said, that scripture right there, that stump, basically stumps their whole doctrine to say that Christ didn't have an earthly father. So, y'all, that's going to do it for us uh, at Bible Talk. Um, we will definitely continue this topic, hopefully, Lord willing, next Thursday, y'all. And uh, till then, y'all, we're going to sign off and we're going to say shalom. Shalom. shalom.